2: And all your guests have to share one plate and one fork, but you're convinced that less stuff means more freedom. The GEICO Insurance Agency could help protect the overly minimalist broom closet you call home. Call GEICO and see how easy it is to switch and save on condo insurance.
3: Welcome to Rotovis Radio Weekly Recap, where I, Kyle Dvorak, at FF Kyla Kid, take you on a tour through the last week in Rotovis Radio podcasting. For those of you who don't know, RotoViz is a sports data and analytics site that publishes over 1,000 articles per year and has a suite of more than 20 proprietary apps. Go to RotoViz.com to check out the site. Before we get into it, I want to remind you that even though the NFL season is underway, you can still get your RotoViz NFL Pass for 30% off. This discount is for listeners of the podcast only, and it's available through the NFL Podcast homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all of our NFL content, tools, and best of all, it supports this podcast. Again, be sure to get your 30% discount for an NFL pass at roadvoys.com forward slash podcasts. I have to admit this first clip is a bit self-indulgent. I live in Columbus, Ohio, and I'm a season ticket holder for Ohio State. This weekend they'll play Penn State in what is arguably the biggest college football game of the year, especially since Florida State, Alabama, Florida State has fallen off since then. This preview of the game is as much for me as it is for you the listener, but I still think you'll get a lot out of it. Here's Kyle Pollock, Jordan Hoover, of the College Football Show.
4: Ohio State uh, has one of the most efficient offices in the country. Um, I know, uh, as you guys know, I'm not the biggest JT Barrett fan in the world, but uh, the past few weeks he has been absolutely on fire, uh, has just one interception on the year, um, and Ohio State's coming off a bye this week, which I think will certainly help in resting up uh, to play what's going to be their first true challenge in a while. Um, they played, since they lost to Oklahoma, they played Army, UNLV, Rutgers, Maryland, and Nebraska So, uh, not the toughest competition. We kind of touched on that last week a little bit. But, Barrett's been great for them. Um, J.K. Dobbins has been great for them as well. Mike Weber's been starting to get more work. And the receivers have been developing uh, as well. And that defense has always been tremendous. Um, They're ranked second-run defense, which should be a little tough uh, for Saquon Barkley to get going. Um, I'm really intrigued by this game. I honestly don't know what to expect and who's going to win, but I think... uh, Ohio State getting seven points just seems a little bit high to me. Um, I'd take I'd Penn State with the points, but I wouldn't feel comfortable betting on this game at all because I really don't know who's
5: going to win. Yeah, you laid out a ton of good points there. I think that basically everything you said are the the keys to this game. I think that Ohio State hasn't really been tested necessarily over the last couple weeks. JT Barrett has done very well during that stretch, and – It'll be interesting to see if he can continue that against a much tougher defense than anything he's faced I would say up to this point Penn State's defense looked really good against Michigan last week albeit Michigan is a bit limited on that side of the ball but Ohio State's defense is really good at limiting <clears throat> excuse me really good at limiting explosive plays which has you know for Penn State's offense it hasn't been as big a piece of their offense as last year, but they still do rely on those downfield shots in the big plays, especially when their offense is sputtering. It kind of gets it kick-started, and Ohio State has been really, really good against uh, downfield explosive plays. So, th- you know, this is a really tough one. I-, I think that, quite honestly, I think this line is just about on the nose. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if it moves. I think that it could potentially move down towards... Penn State, I think it could go down to five or four and a half, four. Um, At seven, I I think I'm also going to take Penn State, but I do believe that Ohio State likely wins this game. Um, Being at home, they're really tough to beat there, and I think that Ohio State's defense is actually better than Michigan's defense all around, and I think they could give Penn State's offense trouble. I think it really could come down to Trace McSorley and... I am just not one hundred percent that he can completely keep it together for a full game if it comes down to the end, so I guess I'll take Penn State plus seven, but like you said this this is like a stay away game in real life for betting in my opinion. Mm-hmm.
4: yeah, I think you made a good couple points there that I want to go off of. um I think Ohio State's essentially like a better version of Michigan in every facet of the game, like they're very similar teams. um Ohio State throws downfield a little more. Um, one thing that concerned me a little bit from Penn State's game against Michigan, uh, John O'Corn had some running room, which was something I was surprised with. Um, they, he had some big holes where he's able to scramble, and they weren't able to wrap him up, and that's not going to fly against JT Barrett. If that happens against JT Barrett, Ohio State will blow this game open. Um, also, the secondary has been good for Penn State, but uh, they haven't faced a guy who has speed like Paris Campbell, so containing him on the big plays is going to be a key for them. And McSorley can't come out, um, what I've seen with him this year is that he comes out almost a little too excited, um, a little inconsistent at the beginning of the game, uh, kind of takes him a little bit to get going, and if he's rattled at the start of this game on the road, he might never get
3: into it. all the college football talk, it wouldn't be fair to let you, the listeners, off without a little bit of dynasty talk, which will come courtesy of the Road of His Radio Show. Be sure to listen to the full show to hear Scott Fish drop some awesome redraft and dynasty stuff and some tweaks he wants to make in the eighth iteration of Scott Fish Bowl next year. But now here's Pat Corain and Sean Siegel.
6: So that's interesting. Is that... Is the reason that you like to kind of... Because I've, I've noticed that you do that as well uh, in the Rose Dynasty League where you'll you'll trade your draft picks but then you're very active during the rookie draft trading back in a lot. Um, and, and that is when you know, just the, the counter to your strategy would be, as you mentioned, you're selling draft picks when they're not at their peak value and you're buying them when they are at their peak value. What, what is the reason for doing that? Is it that you're getting those added points, like by getting a Kelsey now, you know, you could potentially help you win a, a title. Is that why you're willing to kind of go against the, I I don't know, the, the market idea of when you should be buying and selling the draft. I think that's part
7: of it. I think the time value is something you have to factor in as being very, very important. And then the value again, of, of simply making a lot of trades moving in and out and targeting players who have a very wide range of value. So there are a couple of different ideas on how you should address rookies. And there's certainly been a, We published probably six, seven, ten articles this past offseason showing that the young players in Dynasty are definitely overvalued, both in terms of the actual number of points that they score and how well you can predict which players are going to be good. So you have both of those elements that really argue for targeting veteran players. At the same time, if you can add a lot of volume of young players, then you're hitting a lot of players with a wide range of values, which gives you a chance then to add multiple guys who perform well beyond what was realistic for them or well beyond what the most likely outcome, I should say. And so if you can stockpile those kinds of players, then you have a chance to hit multiple times and build these super rosters, which I think is very important. But the other element is simply that even when you overpay at those two different points, you gain a time value, but you also gain the value of those rookies actually jumping in trade value, even if their actual value has stayed the same or declined. And I think you wrote a series on that exact topic yeah. this off season. Yeah.
6: I, I, uh, I started the series. I, I did, I haven't finished it yet, but the first, um, you know, one of the first earlier things I looked at was that, uh, was just the idea of trade value as, uh, as quantified by the, uh, wrote of his dynasty trade calculator that takes a look at startup drafts, actual startup drafts from my fantasy league, um, kind of scrapes my fantasy league for, uh, dynasty startup drafts, and then kind of using basically an exponential curve of value because, you know, the one one compared to a second round pick is worth a lot more than the 5 one compared to, uh, uh um, the, a six round pick. So the, um, you know, that value kind of quantified shows that basically the only real way to, you know, uh, reliably increase your team's trade value is to target rookies. Um, those rookies, particularly um, the younger rookies, so a little bit more value. Um, they're, they're really the, one of the only ways to
3: increase your team's trade value year after year. As we transition into redraft talk, I want to do so with two players who are testament to what Pat was saying at the end of that clip, which is that it is really hard for almost any player to continue to increase in value, especially after their first year. So with that, here's Nelson Souza and Eric Balkman of the High Stakes Lowdown, talking about two receivers who we all once loved, Willie Sneed and Randall Cobb. Six teams
1: on bye this week. Teams on by the following week. We, we still have several more bye weeks to go. If you were facing a situation where you have to look at cutting Randall Cobb, who now has Brett Hundley throwing to him in a much more dialed down uh offense than what we saw with Aaron Rodgers, uh, or you have to cut Willie Sneed, um, you know, given that Ted Ginn has has sort of remained ahead of him on the depth chart, we don't know if Snead's if he's fully recovered from this hamstring injury, we don't know what his role is going to be when he's fully recovered.
8: If you had to cut one of them, who are
1: you keeping? Who are you getting rid of?
8: Uh, Eric, that's, that's a tough question there because, um, you know, based off of my strategy going into, in, into the draft, you know, and of course, you know, going three, four running back, <clears throat> four running backs in the tight end, I was kind of targeting both of these players for different reasons. You know, so, um, I had a share of Cobb a couple years ago when he went for 1,000-plus yards and double-digit touchdowns. I you know he's been injured the last couple years, but um, I was really high on him based off of, you know, where he was falling in the drafts. So, um, you know, he, he started out okay. I mean, the injury to, to Rodgers is just, I mean, I mean that was just, I mean, it, not only did it hurt Cobb, but it, it hurt, you know, everybody on the offense there, you know. So I've got some concerns with him going forward. Uh, Willie Snead. Um, I'll tell you, I was I was high on him going into this year, even outside of the suspension. So um, I kind of targeted those two. With that being said, i uh, um, I would probably I would probably if I had to pick today, I would probably drop Snead over Cobb, just because Snead we're seven weeks into it and Snead hasn't done anything. Right. You know. So. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of hoping for the best for both. But if I had to pick one of the two, it, w- it would be Snead.
1: Yeah, Snead, obviously, uh, he's the one that's not healthy right now. We know Cobb is healthy. And uh, we'll see what happens at that Packers offense. You know, I, I got to believe that Brett Hundley uh, only gets better from here on out. Uh, let's Sticking with the Saints uh, conversation, uh, certain team owners, and, you know, I don't think everybody did this, but I think there's a good number of people in the FFPC this year that drafted Mark Ingram in you know fourth fifth sixth round area and then later on in maybe a double digit round took Alvin Kamara as well as, as sort of a quasi handcuff just ignoring Adrian Peterson uh, while that may have been the smart play then because or, or now because Peterson is no longer there is it also a smart play to be starting Ingram and Kamara Kamara in the same weeks in, in a good matchup because you know, obviously, you're capping your upside a little bit with two running backs on the same team,
8: but these guys have been producing week in and week out. They they, they have, and and I'll tell you, I, me personally, I wouldn't have a problem playing both of them. Um, I've watched uh, some of the New Orleans games uh, the past two weeks since AP was traded to Arizona, and I um, mean Mark Ingram is is definitely the uh, the one, you know, the the first and second down back. They bring Kamara in on third down. They're mixing Kamara in. You know, um, you know, some on first and second, he's, he's going to get five to, to six catches a game. And, um, you know, he, he's got that breakaway speed. So I, I think both of them lined up in the same backfield. They both have an opportunity to score and they both have an opportunity to put up some pretty big points. So I, I wouldn't have a problem with that at all.
1: I was actually at the Packers Saints game this past Sunday and, you know, I'm noticing the, the formations and, and the, the personnel that was on the field, it seemed like Ingram and Kamara, you know, more often than not, I was kind of identifying, you know, I'd see Ingram first, and then I'd see Kamara, and then all of a sudden I'd see, oh, there's Kamara split out wide with Ingram in the back. You know what I mean? Like they were on the field quite a bit too. So it's not like the the if one's in, the other one's out. It's not like a snap, um,
3: you know, a disparity between the two. I love that last question. Because choosing to play Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara seems pretty similar to a start sick question about players you can play this week in redraft. But I think it gets to the heart of something deeper about how you choose to play fantasy football. Because there's certain, cause there's certainly an argument that if you have those two players projected highest on your roster, that those are the two players you should be playing But then some may say that, well, you're minimizing upside if you're playing two running backs on the same team. But then again, if you believe the Saints' running game is going to pop off against the Bears and they're going to score 35 points, then you still might be maximizing upside. So I think the right answer to that question is really just, it depends. Let's say you don't think you're going to win. You're a big dog this week, and you need to maximize your upside. If you have LeGarrette Blount, Mark Ingram, and Alvin Kamara on your team, you might want to go Mark Ingram and LeGarrette Blunt, because even though you may think that Alvin Kamara will outscore LeGarrette Blunt, playing Mark Ingram and then LeGarrette Blunt against the 49ers, who are giving up the fourth most points to opposing running backs, may be the best way to make up the difference between you and your opponent. But regardless of how you choose to play the situation, all these players would make great plays on draft this week.
9: Hey sports fans, football season's here, and it's time to get in on the action with my bookie. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited.
3: Fantasy football fans, listen up. If you love fantasy football, then you need to try my new favorite app, Draft. Here's how it works. You do a draft that lasts for just one week, and there's no management. You just set it and forget it. Once you're done drafting, that's it. No trades, no waiver wire. Draft even takes care of last-minute injuries for you. Drafts start every couple of minutes, so you can join one right now. And the best part? Play for cold, hard cash. Drafts start at just $1, so there's a draft for everyone. No salary caps, play in a real live snake trap, just like you would play with your friends in a season-long league. Come and join me on Draft today. Download the app anytime, just search Draft in your app store and join a game in minutes. Or play right now from your computer on PlayDraft.com. Whatever you want. And for a limited time only, all new players get a free entry into Draft when you make your first deposit. But you have to use my promo code RVRADIO. That's right, play a real money game for free, just for using my promo code RVRADIO for your first deposit on Draft. Just search Draft in the App Store or go to PlayDraft.com. Play for free with the promo code RVRADIO. This next clip is from the Road of His Report, where Blair, Andrews, and Anthony Amico do their segment of No Shit Shit No. And I thought it was only fair to start off with more Alvin Kamara talk to kind of bring things to a close on that conversation. But without further ado, take it away.
10: Alvin Kamara carried the ball nine times for 57 yards in the Saints week seven win over the Packers. He also had five receptions for 50 additional yards.
11: No shit. Alvin Kamara is, uh, he's great and he should be getting more opportunity, I think, in this backfield. He actually did out-snap Ingram in this game. Uh, Well, Ingram had a good game too, but yeah, I love Kamara. I think he should be, he should be getting more work. Duke Johnson caught six of seven targets for 45 yards with seven carries for 26 yards on the ground in Sunday's Week 7 loss to the Titans.
10: No shit. I think that about seven targets and seven carries, seven carries, is probably what we should expect from Duke Johnson going forward. Um, especially with Cody Kessler now coming in at QB, I think that that probably increases his target floor. I think he has a lot of safety in PPR leagues right now. But T.Y. Hilton caught just two of eight targets for 27 yards in Week 7 against Jacksonville.
11: Yeah, I mean, in a way, we should have probably expected this against the Jaguars secondary and with Brissett throwing to him he's just kind of been hit or miss this whole season so it's not necessarily that uh, you should expect to of eight targets for 27 yards in every game but he's going to have these kind of highs and lows throughout the whole season as long as Brissett is the quarterback which may be the entire season now so uh, kind of a no shit I guess. Deshaun Jackson caught five of eight targets for 73 yards in the Bucks week seven loss to the Bills.
10: No shit. I think this is about right in terms of the usage for Jackson. Uh, you know, whether or not he scores is really the only thing that I think is like a weekly question mark. But if the Bucks are throwing the ball, Jackson's going to be heavily involved. OJ Howard cuts all six of his targets for 98 yards and two touchdowns in the Bucks week seven loss to the Bills.
11: I really want to say no shit to this one. Uh, I mean, he's obviously super talented. Uh, and, you know, he showed that today, but Cameron Braid is still there, still probably getting, uh, more of the work. Uh, although maybe this is a, maybe this signals a change toward more, more O.J. Howard, which I'm all for. Todd Gurley rushed 22 times for 106 yards and one touchdown in the Rams 33-0 Week 7 win over the Cardinals.
10: No shit. Gurley is back. This offense has been completely rejuvenated under McVeigh. And we know that Gurley is just going to be a volume hog most weeks. So this is, this is about what we should expect. CJ Yeldon had nine carries for 122 yards and a touchdown in week seven against the Colts.
11: Shit. No. I Yeldon is not very good. I don't think. And this was kind of a fluky game. Uh, really should have been Ivory's touches, right? LaShawn McCoy rushed 23 times for 91 yards and two touchdowns and caught five of seven targets for 31 yards in the Bills' Week 7 win over the Bucks.
10: No shit. I mean, Shady has obviously been rushing the ball a ton this season, but he's also been the lead target getter for Buffalo. He hadn't scored a touchdown yet going into this game. That was really just a matter of time, and the matchup was pretty good, so no shit. To
3: follow up on that LaShawn McCoy stuff, He's first on the team in both targets and receptions, with 39 targets and 32 receptions on the air, both of which are 10 more than the next leading receiver on the team. And interestingly enough, he's actually got more of his fantasy points on the air coming through the air, with 54 PPR points through the air and 49 through the ground. And with Charles Clay out, it wouldn't be surprising to see something similar to this continue, as he is right now their leading receiver. Our last clip comes to you courtesy of Nathan and Dan on Dynasty Tradecast with guest Heath Cummings, and I chose this just because sometimes... Even in Dynasty, where it's super serious, you have to have fun. So the beginning of this clip has some of the greatest trades for Amari Cooper made over the past few weeks. Yeah, Amari
12: Cooper, his Thursday night performance—it was one of those ones where, if you're someone who wasn't able to buy any shares, it's one like you're banging your head against the wall. Like this was the most occupy low <laughs> opportunity ever, and. To an extent, that's true because it was. I mean, his stock certainly was cheaper a week ago than it is now. But I really I mean, I, I didn't really see. And obviously, you can look at trade finders and things like that to see some really bad Amari Cooper trades. But in my general leagues, I didn't see Amari Cooper moved at all. So I, I feel like we often overstate how how easy a buy low opportunity is. So yes, there was a by opportunity for Cooper, but there were definitely a lot of owners still holding tight.
2: Yeah, I didn't really see him moved much at all either. I obviously held on to all of my shares, but I did. I, right after that game, I went in and I sent a tweet about it, about going into the um, one of the trade finder apps and, and looking up just Amari Cooper. And it was so funny. It's, there was one that was, it had to have been a super flex league, but I think it was straight up for Ben Roethlisberger. There was another one that was like Mike Wallace in a second, which, Well is absolutely terrible.
13: Yeah, I I sent out a tweet on October 10th. I just went to Twitter to look it up and got twenty eight hundred votes. Amari Cooper Dynasty Price Check. The plurality, thirty-nine percent, came in at less than a first.
12: Yeah, Heath, we covered this. Your, your followers don't.
2: <laughs> I remember that. I believe we had a conversation at during that tweet.
13: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Apparently, they they just don't play Dynasty, but and I asked. It turns out about a third of them do. But uh, they were they were the people still even even that only 18 percent said early 2018 first. And I would have thought that wasn't enough.
2: I think you can turn that one into about three. And I think we're talking about probably the same player, but maybe again, we're talking to to predominantly redraft guys, which we got to make that switch, man. We got to start pounding dynasty stuff. We just got to send out tweets through your account for you.
13: <laughs> I, I, I would appreciate that. I'm trying to bring it a little bit more to the uh, mainstream. I'm doing dynasty rankings on occasion now, at least. But yeah, it's it, it's so much more enjoyable. It's just difficult to move people in um, mass. It's gonna take. It's gonna be a slow slow burn.
2: Yeah, it is, and it's you know, it's, it is a technical small group. It seems like it's growing by the day, which is very cool. But um, yeah, all right, Nathan, what um, are you still? Do you think maybe? Are you going to try to sell Amari after this? Do you think people are like, oh, my God, he's worth 10 first now. Oh, let's go get him. Or is it just like, this is Amari. Let's hold on to him. Let's play him every week.
12: Uh, I, I mean, it's more so the latter. But I, I do think that there are going to be some people who are lo- who they go from, oh, I missed out on the buy low opportunity to now I need to buy high. And so if you're looking to go and acquire Amari Hooper today, probably don't do it today. Probably do it in a few weeks after he has another Conker game. Because even at his best, He's going to be a guy who has, you know, a 16-point game, an 18-point game, a 14-point game, and then a two-point game. Like, that's just going to be the nature of of him and how he's being
3: targeted in that Raiders offense. And that's a wrap for this week. Before I go, I want to tell you about some of my favorite articles that I've seen come out this week that I've been reading. First, I want to cue into Michael Hoff's play draft week eight lineups where basically he breaks down how to attack your draft lines this week, which is really great because I know a lot of us, like myself, are just getting into draft for the first time this season. I also wanted to talk about Ben Gretsch's Stealing Signals, possibly one of the most important articles we have come out every week. It's actually two, the AFC and the NFC part, but it uses Snapshare data and a whole lot of other information to break down what we saw last week from each team and what we expect to see going forward. That's going to do it for this week's Road of His Radio Weekly Recap. You can find me on Twitter at FFKyleKid. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to the Road of His Radio Weekly Recap. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can always get a hold of us at rodovisradio.gmail.com and catch us on Twitter at roto Radio. And you can always support the show by going to rodovis.com forward slash podcast and subscribing with your 30% discount.
5: We see the news that teen vaping's on the rise, but teens see something else. Internet videos that talk up fun flavors and downplay the dangers of nicotine. How can parents talk so kids will listen? Use facts. One, nicotine can rewire teens' brains. Two, it can make kids more anxious. Three, changes to the brain can be permanent. So even when it tastes like candy, nicotine is brain poison. Go to
9: flavorshookkids.org for more.
0: Right now at T-Mobile, get an awesome iPhone XR on us when you bring your family over and trade in your old device. Because whether you have mom, dad, or a friend on your mind, it's a gift so bold and brilliant, you'll want to keep it for yourself. Most importantly, it's on us in six vibrant colors.